Thank you, Caitlin. It was good the 225th time I heard it, as it was the first 224 times. For you who have children that uh, work on instruments, you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, thanks, Caitlin, for that. It sounded good. It's time for the reading of God's Word. If you'll turn tonight's passage of Scripture, Matthew 14, Matthew chapter 14, we'll be reading uh, verses 26 through 28. That's Matthew chapter 14, verse 26 through 28. There'll be a Bible there in the rack in front of you as well as on the screen this evening. Those who are able, if you'll stand with me tonight as we read, I'll read and you follow along. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 26 through 28. The Bible says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the uh, great day you've given to us today. In our series, nobody heard it, that's okay. Um, in our series uh, on fear, faith, and God. Let's pray. We'll jump right in here. Lord, help us tonight. Guide, direct our words and our thoughts. And thank you for Lord, thank you for church. We know it was your idea, and God, we sure are grateful for the opportunity to come together as God's family. And thank you for these that have gathered. I pray you'd bless them, favor them, help us. Lord, guide and direct our words, our thoughts, and speak to us as only you can. And Lord, we do pray you would uh, encourage us. And you would, uh, uh, Lord, help us to stand. Uh, Lord, in the midst of troublesome times personally, troublesome times corporately, and nationally, I pray that you just help us. And Lord, we ask for your favor in all that's done. May you be pleased and may good be accomplished. We pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage there, the disciples are coming and just very, very quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing because I want to move forward. But here, here they are and they're, they believe that, uh, boy, at any moment uh, it's going to be bad. And they see... Um, the apparition, as it were, and of course it was the Lord, they thought it was an apparition, they thought it was a ghost, and they believed they were doomed as a result of it. And so uh, we see uh, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Several things we mentioned last week. First of all, um, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not immune to fear. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, you might think, well, I've been saved for 30, 40 years, and I still have, have issues. I still get worried. I still get troubled. Welcome to the club. There's not a one of us from the platform to the last chair in every room here tonight that's not uh, wrestled with it at some time, and probably somebody tonight you're wrestling with it. It doesn't matter. You, you, we, we could say this, and it's no offense to me. It's just the nature of humanity. Even though we preached some along these lines last week, it, doesn't ma- it didn't make your fear go away. It didn't. It's just a reality of it. It's still there, but you have to recognize several things, and we'll get to a little bit of that tonight. Then the second thing we say, sometimes uh, um, hearing and knowing what the Word of God says is not always enough to overcome it for us, because Jesus had already told them, go to the other side, I'm coming along later, but even though they had that confidence in the Word of God, they still struggled. And so you may know all the answers from the Word of God, and well, we should, 
It doesn't make it go away sometimes in our own heart and life. Now, by the way, um, God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't want us fearful. He doesn't want us doubting. Uh, That's not the work of the Lord for sure. Um, The Bible reminds us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so we we don't have to feel that way, but it doesn't mean we don't. And so the, the thought that we mentioned last week was the first thought, and that is fear is concerning. And by that, just in way of illustration, it's that thing that we keep fashioning every day, or whatever it is, whatever your fear is, your fear is the unknown, your fear is your future, your fear is old age, your fear is your health, your fear is your family, your fear is finances, it could be any number of things. And usually, before 9 o'clock in the morning, you've already thought about it. And you've already, you probably, even though it came to your attention last week and was in the forefront during the message and you thought, that's right, or I, I need to deal with that, I need to address that, it didn't make it go away this week. It was still there. But the problem comes is when we fashion it, we mold it, we shape it, we make it bigger than what it really needs to be in our life. Because most of what you fear never happens. Your greatest concerns in life typically never materialize. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't, because sometimes... Life's tough. Man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job made the statement, that which I have, greatly fe- that's what, which I have feared greatly has come upon me. So we, we understand there was something that Job kept wondering about throughout his life. And some component of it reared itself and showed itself in his life there, whether it was loss of his children, I don't know. Whether it was his physical suffering, I don't know. Maybe it was a loss of his wealth and the... Uh, respect, perhaps, of the elders in the gate. I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was a combination of all of those things. But man, when it hit him, he, he said, I knew this would happen. And so sometimes the things that you fear do come to fruition, but most never do. As David said, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. So what fear does is it arrests our attention and it causes that one thing to be the only thing that we think about. It just consumes us. And so fear is uh, concerning. Then the second thought that I want to get to, uh, notice this, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, how many of you know what this verse is from? Okay. This is a young man who came to the Lord and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked a question. And by the way, a very legitimate question. He said, what do I got to do to escape hell? I want to make sure I go to heaven. So the Lord comes through with the answer, and uh, he tells him about the commandments, and he says, Master, these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus then says to him, you missed it by one thing, yet one thing thou lackest. And he tells him, he says, go thy way, sell, sell everything you got, give it to the poor. The Bible says that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he came with a fear of eternity, but he didn't get an answer. He didn't get a resolution. He left with that same fear. And one of the reasons is because what, what fear does is it's not only concerning, but many times in our life, fear is conflicting. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn, even though we know the right answer. It wasn't like God gave him the quadratic formula and told him to figure this out, gave him some, you know, uh, mathematic equation and said, hey, this, go ahead, here it is, solve for X, and, and uh, good luck with that. Or a Rubik's Cube tossed it at him and said, I saw this video of a guy who was, who was juggling three Rubik's Cubes and solving them as he was juggling them. And they, they gave him three Rubik's Cubes, and this guy, was, he's juggling them in the air. Pretty fascinating. In fact, we have that video. No, I'm kidding. But, but I, I was watching this guy, and I can't imagine ever solving one, period. 
But this guy was juggling them, and I think he did it in just a few minutes. All three of them. He's just sitting here, I'm thinking, how do you do that? I can't even juggle. I mean, but to do Rubik's cues while solving them. But that's not what the Lord does to this guy. Some of you are going to be Googling that and making sure. But anyway, and so he doesn't say, here, good luck with this. He says, bless you. He says one thing, well, he does actually, many places in there. But he said one thing you lack, and he said, sell everything you got and give to the poor. And that was the hurdle for him. And so he, he's left with this choice, this dilemma, this decision. That's what fear does. It causes great conflict in our heart. That's why sometimes you can know exactly what you need to do, and you don't do it. We can give you all the Scripture we want. Have you ever been there? I know I have. You know exactly what you need to do about this particular situation. There's no question. There's no reservation here. Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Okay, this is simple. One thing. I just, this is it. This is one thing. He said, go your way, sell all you got, give to the poor. That one thing? Whatever it is you happen to be dealing with in life, oftentimes Jesus says one thing. One thing. And yet, fear because of what that means. And so, when the question, when the statement was presented to him, he began to think of all the dynamics of that one thing. What happens when I do that one thing? And of course, that's our theme this year. What's your one thing? So he says, if I do that one thing, then what's going to happen? So fear then takes on this huge element, the unknown, the uncertainty, or the, the loss, and he starts thinking, well, first of all, I have money, so I don't really have a lot of worry or concern. I don't, I don't have to, I, I, there's a lot of things. Uh, Solomon said, money answereth all matters. And so he, he realized that if I had finances, and by the way, they that would be rich fall into temptations and many snares and many hurtful lusts. And so we understand that, but most of the time, most of, uh, in fact, I would say this, in a crowd tonight, most of your worries are financial. For the average person in America, in fact, I think the number is over 70% of the American population, their number one worry is money, which is staggering when we live so much above the world standard of wealth anyway. I mean, the most impoverished people in America live, most, live better than most of the world. But yet, money becomes the number one thing. I'm going to be able to save for a house. I'm going to be able to. I'm going to be able to have enough money for retirement. I'll probably never have to retire. I'll be doing this and this and that. We start thinking about all these things, and so finances becomes the thing. So, if you have the answer, fear rears its head and says, "Yeah, but what about this?" And so, for this guy, he starts thinking. Here's the answer the Lord gives me: So everything you got, give to the poor. Okay. Well, I want eternal life. And I, I, but now I know the answer, and so to make that choice, and it wasn't taking a vow of poverty. There are some people who use this particular passage of Scripture to say that Jesus is ascribing a vow of poverty, but that's not what this is. He's just telling me, he says, that's your one thing you got to get rid of. You got to deny that, and you got to trust me completely, not your wealth. The Bible warns about that in the Old Testament, about those who trust in riches, and, and gives caution about that. So when the Lord speaks to you about one thing in particular, whatever that one thing is, we start worrying about what happens if I make that choice. Okay, for instance, I can remember when I, when I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, then came a huge wave of not relief, but of fear. It's crazy. You make a decision to serve the Lord. What, what do you mean fear? Yeah, because my first thought, my first thought when I told the Lord, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. My first thought, I'm going to serve cannibals. 
I mean, really, and you're you're laughing, but I'm very serious. I was thinking about Jim Elliott. I was thinking about these, you know, the Aka Indians, and I was thinking about that story had become very prominent, and it happened years before. I'm not that old, don't, but it happened years before. Saying, "Wow, you are old, Pastor," but I remember hearing it in a Sunday school lesson. I remember talking about that. That's where he's sending me. I'm going there. I'm gonna. I can. I can see it right now. And so you start thinking about those things when you make a decision that you know the Lord wants you to do. Hey, listen, if God is leading you about something, anything in your life, for instance, there are people that God has dealt with many times over their finances. You need to tithe. Here's the first thing that happens. If I tithe, I'm going to have less. It's the first thing. I'm not preaching on tithing. I'm just talking about the conflict that occurs when God says, this is the thing you need to do. And you might say, well, yeah, but I'm struggling to make it right now anyway. Well, first of all, you have to go with scriptural commands. The tithe is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. Yea, wherein will a man rob God? And tithes and offerings have you robbed him. And again, it's not a message on finances, but fear comes the moment you try to make a decision for God. I remember a guy who told me, and he didn't get baptized for almost 30 years after salvation. And he told me this. He said, every time God would speak to me, he'd go to church conflicted over and over. But he'd say, I'd sit there in church, and i think, what are these people going to think? I don't want to get baptized in front of anybody. I don't want anybody watching this. You know, he, 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 was, he was, not that he was ashamed of his decision to trust Christ, but he, the idea of him going into a baptismal tank in front of people was overwhelming to him. And it kept him from that first step of obedience as a child of God. God says, you get saved. What's next? Follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Oh. And so then fear starts coming. And as that fear comes, it is concerning to us, and then it causes great conflict. Most of us know what we ought to be doing in our life. It's not really a question. You know, it doesn't mean you don't need to come to church. Don't misunderstand me. Because we all do. We all need preaching. We all need to respond to the preaching of the Word of God. But, but the fact is, uh, us, hear me, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Many of you are hearing the same truths and the same scriptures you've heard for decades, right? But you're also eating the same eggs you've been eating for 30, 40 years, if you still like your eggs the same way. And nobody ever says, man, I had this 17 years ago. I've been eating eggs all the time. I think I'll never have another egg again. Nobody ever does that unless you don't like eggs. If you like eggs, you know, my wife asked me, she said, it's Father's Day. Would you like some eggs for breakfast this morning? I said, I think I'm going to make a protein shake, which I've been doing for years and partly because I've been eating terribly. And pray for me. Tonight's my last night for Diet Coke for a while. I don't know for how long, maybe 24 hours, but I'm, I'm going on a, I'm, I'm gonna, so tonight we're going, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take six, please, but um, can you just dump them on me? But uh, you, so she said, what would you like? And, and I said, I said I'll, I'll just make a protein shake to try to make up for all the junk I've had the last uh, few days. And, uh, but, but when fear comes, it's that thing of knowing what we need to do, but what are all the surrounding consequences of that decision. You see, I know that I, um, I know that I need to lose a little bit of weight. I know. That's, I, some of you look, you look at me and say, you need to lose. I do. Trust me. I put a suit on yesterday. Well, I tried. Actually, my wife held it and I jumped off the porch. No, um, it wasn't quite that bad. But, uh, but I, I put it on and I thought, I'm going to wear this suit tomorrow. Some of you, those visual images that come, right, with, this, with an illustration, really, it wasn't the porch. It was one landing. But so I, I tried on this suit, and I thought, this is what I'm going to wear tomorrow, Father's Day. This would be awesome. And it wouldn't button. It was like, you know, and if it's uncomfortable when you put it on, don't walk out with it. 
Some people don't know that. They walk like this. Does this fit? Or you see these, you ever see these people with these high heels? We were at the airport coming home the other night, and here's this lady. She walked, she's got the highest heels, and I'm thinking, that can't be comfortable. But she looks good, she thinks. So anyway, but man, if I've got something, I put it on, and I'm thinking, this is not working for me. You know, I just, and so I put it on, I was like, you know, you do that. Some of you are doing that right now as you're seated. You know, I'm, I'm afraid not to. But so, so, and then I put it on and I think, this is not good. What do you mean? Because I got to breathe. I can't breathe. So as soon as I, does anybody in here have a, an outfit that is your test outfit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I've got this test outfit. Well, there's this particular suit and I really like it. Um, you've never seen it. <laughs> But no, I think I wore it one time when I first came here. I was fasting. That's why. But, um, but so, and I've got this suit, and I put it on. And I thought, man, this is not good. And so I hung that bad boy up, and so I talked to my wife and my girls, and I said, come on now, stop buying the C's candies and all the cookies. Now, tonight, there are still some C's candies in the cupboard. Last night, I went through all of the utterly chocolate ice cream. Have you had that, by the way? How many of you know what I'm talking about? That is from heaven. Utterly chocolate is maybe the best ice cream I've ever eaten in my life. And so I said, guys, I told him, I said, guys, we got to finish this carton tonight. And so we finished that last night. And so all the other sugar, <laughs> you guys never do this kind of stuff, do you? So all the other sugar at the house, it's gone tonight. So uh, if you've got any in your car or anything you want to drop off, let me have it. I'll finish it tonight so I can be done. No, I'm kidding. But so, so fear says, I know what I need to do. I just don't want to do it. I was talking to my daughter today, and I said, you know, I, I, I think I'm maybe, I don't know if I'm addicted to Diet Coke, but no, seriously, but I'm close. I got to, you know, I, I don't get shakes when I pass the golden arches, but I, but I kind of feel that way. And so I, I told my wife, I said, I said, I really do need to, need to back off that. And that's something that is so simple and so trivial for what anybody is going through, but that's exactly what fear does. And so if I say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this change because I know this is right, and then comes the surrounding conflict because I know what that's going to mean. And when God speaks to you about something in your heart, and it's so clear, there's, a, there's not even a reservation, not even guesswork about it, as it was with the rich young ruler. He said, I'll tell you what you got to do. So everything you got, give to the poor. He thought, I can't do it. I can't do it. Was it because he didn't want to be penniless? Or he didn't want to be penniless? I, I don't know. Was it because he didn't want to share it? I don't know. Was it because he was worried about the prestige and, and the name in the community and all the things that accompanied it? It's like Agrippa. Agrippa was literally in the stranglehold of fear. There's no question about it. Now, he had several fears that were waging. One was the fear of eternity. Because Paul looked at Acts chapter 26, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. And here's one of the most amazing chapters. Here's Agrippa. Paul's preaching, and I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to hear Paul preach. I mean, but here he is. He's letting it go, and he doesn't, he doesn't care that he's in shackles. I mean, the guy's getting ready to be executed, and he says, and he's waxing poetic. And I understand it's the influence of the Holy Spirit, but he said, as he's writing to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. Like he's catching a plane. I'm ready to be offered. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid it for me a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. 
And those are his last words, and he's, he's, he's beheaded for his faith. But here we have a grip in Paul's preaching, and he's still shackled because he, said, he makes the statement, I would that thou wert as I altogether save these bonds, but he looks at Agrippa. And he makes the statement, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. And maybe he zeroed in. Maybe he looks him square in the eye. Maybe he senses the conviction. I don't know. Maybe it's the direction of the Holy Spirit. But he looks at Agrippa and he says, believest thou the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa looks at him and he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What a step that was for Agrippa to say in that crowd. But he didn't go all the way. Why? Because fear causes conflict. And if you're struggling with it, if you're wrestling with it, it can literally cause great conflict in your heart and your soul. And you're just going back and forth. I know I need to give this over to God, but... Oh, I know I need to follow the Lord in this direction, but... Oh, I know I need to make this decision, but... And fear overwhelms us. Fear is concerning. Fear is conflicting. Then thirdly, the Bible says, and I'm, I'm going to finish with this thought tonight. I don't think we'll get further than this. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. It's on the screen there in front of you. Can you see that all right? And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet. No question about it. One of the minor prophets in the New Testament. By the way, I don't even know why you use the word minor prophets. I know we're talking about the length of the book, but it's hard to call anyone that God used. He's just a little guy. But that's what we say about Jonah, a minor prophet. So God says, go to Nineveh. We know about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were terrible people. They hated, they hated God. This whole, in fact, this whole story is remarkable. Because when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it means even this, this crowd. And it means even you and me. They literally would take captive the soldiers of Israel and fillet them. And they would take their skins and they would make flags out of them and fly them on as banners. It was a brutal, brutal kingdom, the Assyrian Empire. But so, so God says, Jonah, go there. Jonah's like, what? Go there. You, you want me to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and cry against their wickedness because it's come up before me. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Jonah's probably first response was, I don't care. Not my problem. Not my people. And by the way, you could preach an entire message on that particular thought. But Jonah, for whatever reason, I'm not picking on him. He says, no. So let's read further. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So in this particular passage of Scripture, we notice the third thing in our list and that is this. Fear is, first of all, concerning. Secondly, it's conflicting. And third, it's controlling. It changes what you should be doing, and you know you should be doing it. It's, 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 see, after the conflict, there's the concern, and there's the shaping of the big fear monster, whatever that is. And uh, I don't know whose this is. I just saw this. Bouncy ball? Who's bouncy ball? There you go. All right. Uh, I didn't want, didn't want to step on it. Go ahead. Pick it up. All right. And uh, so we see, first of all, fear is concerning, and so every day we keep shaping that thing up. It gets bigger and bigger all the time. Then the second thing is it's conflicting. We're just sitting here. What do we do? What do we do? 
The third thing is it controls and it changes everything. Here's a guy, I would imagine that if you had told Jonah to go anyplace else, Jonah would have said, sure, I'm your guy, but not there. And for most of us, we have a not there location. It may be a physical, literal place. You know, for me, I said it before, I was talking to a guy the other day, and um, I, was, I was inviting him to church, and um, gave him a gospel track, and he said, what brought you to Oregon? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Now, you know what I've said, and I haven't said it in a long time, but of all the places, I, I probably wouldn't have picked Oregon. But I was, sit, I was standing around on the tee box. I don't know, Robert, I think it was maybe number seven when you could look off the tee and you could see Mount Hood. And I thought, man, what a great place to live. I mean, really, it was just, yeah, Danny, you were there. You were, you were in our group, and I, I was looking, and I thought, this is unreal. And everybody back east says it rains there all the time. They don't have a clue. In fact, don't tell them. I mean, it, this is an amazing place. But if you would have told me, you know, three and a half years ago, you're going to organize that, say, what? Because there were a lot of places that I would have signed up for, but this wasn't one of them. But, it, but it's worked out. It's what God wanted. And so most people have a not there list for God. You do. Whether it's a, a literal physical location, it could be a standard. I'm not doing that. It could be a deed. I will not do that. It could be a level of commitment. Not happening. And so what fear does, and there's reasons for it. Because if I do that, it means this. Remember, that's a rich young ruler. See, see, if I do that, if I make that call, if I make that decision, if I give away everything that I have, yes, I've got heaven, but what about everything else that I lose? Now, we realize what a tragic decision that was and woefully wrong. But what fear will do is it'll control and it'll cause you to do the dumbest thing in the world. Can you think about it as we read this? This is a prophet, a man of God, and he thinks, I'm going to get away from God. Because he said, I want to, he said he went down to get from the presence of the Lord. David told us, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You cannot outrun God. There's, there is no place you can go in this world where God can't reach you. It, it, it doesn't matter, nor, nor place physically, nor place spiritually or emotionally. You might think, I just want to get away. Well, God's there. And the Spirit of God can work and draw and move and lead and direct and all those things. But when it comes to the controlling factor, people will do things they never thought they would do when they are under the control of fear. Sometimes that's a good thing. You know, it can flip that way. I remember my dad was in Vietnam, and my, his mother lived with us for um, quite a while uh, from time to time. In different periods, uh, she would stay with us for months at a time. And my mom was gone at work. My mom was working uh, nights as a nurse, and, and uh, so my grandmother was staying with us. And uh, we, <coughs> we lived in a, in a house not far from the base, but we were living off the base. And uh, dad was in Vietnam, so it was probably 60s, late 60s. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard a, it was late at night. My brothers and I, we were watching uh, TV, and I, I, was, uh, I was holding the antennas. I still, I still remember this. And uh, uh, it was in the basement. That's where our bedrooms were, in the basement. And we had a stairwell, came right up from the basement, and it went straight up the stairs to the back door. And it was one of those triple windows, you know, like this. And all of a sudden, 
Um, and I don't remember what we were watching. Uh, who knows? But there were only three channels, and usually one of them went like this at night, you know, and it just kept going fuzzy. It was like snow everywhere, and the other one would play the national anthem, duh, 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 you know, and that was the end, and it just kept playing it over. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm telling the truth. So I hear glass break, and I look up, and there's a man, literally, I see a hand coming through the, he had broken the glass. It's like midnight. I'm like six, so this is one of those scary moments, you know, I'm like, that's not good, all right? And my mom's at work. My dad's a couple thousand miles, uh, 10,000 miles away. He's over in Vietnam, and I'm looking up here. My brother's over there. They're watching TV, and I'm the guy holding the, the antenna, and I see a guy reach his hand literally through the window. Glass is broken on the floor. I'm freaking out, but, but I can't say anything. I just, I'm frozen, you know, um, I, really. And then all of a sudden, I hear my grandmother. Now, my grandmother probably would have been close to 70 at that point, and she comes lunging at the guy with a broom handle, with a broom handle, and she just goes to wailing on his hand that's, that's sticking through the window, and he takes a couple good licks with that broom handle, and by the way, those were broom handles back in those days. Now, it's a little cheap thing. These were solid, solid hardwood broom handles, and she just bam, bam, and I'm still sitting here watching the whole thing. I'm thinking, I'm five. What am I going to do? I probably was five years old, and I'm watching this thing as it unfolds, and after a couple licks, I don't know how long it happened, but he pulls his arm back out and takes off running. I'm thinking, good, show's over. No, grandma goes chasing him. (laughs) I see her swing open the door. It's midnight, and she's yelling at this guy, and she was one of the greatest Christians I ever knew. My wife can, can attest to this. Just a phenomenal lady. And she's chasing him with a broom handle. I don't know what he had, but I know this. He messed with the wrong woman. <laughs> now, I guarantee you, my grandmother, who was almost 70 at that time, there was fear. But that fear also caused you sometimes to do that which you would never think you would do. So it can be a good thing. But most of the time in our life, it doesn't work that way. Most of the time, we do what Jonah did. Jonah said, I don't want to go there. Fear of the people, I believe, was probably his chief reason. I sometimes say it was because he, he didn't care for those people. That might have been part of it because they, how they had treated his families or his, his heritage, his, his nation. That may have been a, a component. I think probably the biggest reason was, I don't want to go there. Because fear grabs a hold of your life and says, I'm taking over. I'm probably talking to someone tonight that right now fears the dominating force in your life. You wish it wasn't, but it is. And it has affected every decision you make. You get up in the morning, the first thing that comes to your mind is that thing. Remember from last week that you craft every day. So you get up in the morning, first thing you think about it, my health is failing. So every day you think you're worse than you were the day before. It's only a matter of time. Or maybe it's a relationship issue. I don't know how, how we're staying together. I don't think God could ever fix this. Maybe it's finances. How in the world am I ever going to get out of this hole? I wish I could give. I wish I could help. I'm never going to be able to do that because my finances just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And I got all these people calling me all the time and the debt collectors and bill collectors. And so every day that gets bigger and bigger. And so that concern causes conflict and then it takes control. And we're bound to it. Man, we wish we weren't, but we start acting upon those fears. And we make our choices, our decisions based upon those fears that have so gripped us. But here's the thing. 
God says that God is love, and the Bible says that perfect love casteth out fear. So he comes to Peter, and, I, and I'm done for, for this much tonight. So he comes to Peter. Everybody on that boat's afraid. Man, I would have been too. I mean, here it is tossing. They know the story the mariners tell, and they see what, what they think is a ghost. We understand it's the Lord coming at them, and they are sore afraid. We're doomed. We're toast. We're finished. And then Peter does the unthinkable. He says, if it's you, which, by the way, even when God is present, you're still not sure he is. Even when you know it's him coming, you still wonder. That's why we wonder, is he going to come through for me? Is he going to answer this? Is he going to fix this? Is he going to deliver me from this? And fear gets such control that Peter just can barely say, if it's you, if it's you, would you help me? See, because Peter's real desire was not to step on the water. He'd been in the water a lot of times as a fisherman. His real desire was to conquer the trouble, the turmoil, and the fear that that storm had waged in his life. And God said, hey, walk on water, not really a big deal. So whatever it is you are facing, understand this. God does not want that fear to cause great concern. He doesn't want it to cause the conflict in your life. And He definitely does not want it to control your life. He wants you to have victory. He wants you to be delivered from that fear. He wants you to understand, I have overcome that. Whatever your hurt, whatever your wound, whatever your burden, whatever your disappointment, whatever it is that you wake up and it's there every day, God, in essence, says to you as a child of God, I've got you, and I've got this. Do you trust Him? I trust Him for salvation. What about for everything else? That's what God wants. Fear. Don't let it concern, don't let it conflict, and don't let it control to where we do that which we never thought we would do. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just very, very quickly. If you're here tonight and God's spoken to your heart, then I can't help but think that probably all of us to a certain point, and maybe you're able to get out of your seat, maybe you're not. Maybe fear will be the thing that keeps us from moving. Sometimes it is. I've been there. But if God's spoken to you about something very, very clearly, He invites you to come, not me. If there's a leading, a drawing, a direction in your heart, that's the, that's the work of God. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of man. And when God cares enough about us to stop us and speak to us, it's because God wants a response. And if God's spoken to you tonight, then you ought to respond. Either there at your seat if you're not able, but certainly you ought to take a moment to come down to the altar and say, Lord, uh, that thing's been crippling me. It's been concerning. It's been conflicting. It's been controlling. I don't want it to happen anymore. I said tonight, God, I, I want to give it to you. And I realize that my faith is so frail. I may pick it up on the way home. And God, if I do, forgive me. I'm asking you ahead of time even to forgive me. Because I don't want to live that way. But if God spoke in your heart, would you come right now, even as the piano plays? You say, the Lord spoke to me. 
Would you mind him just very, very quickly? trust him. Only trust him now. Sing the chorus with me tonight. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him save you. He will save you. He will save you now. That's often used, of course, as an invitation song for salvation, but it works for everything. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Meaning that's all that it takes, but He is also the only one to be trusted. I appreciate you being here tonight and look forward to uh, this week. And looking forward to Thursday night and the opportunities for this summer. A lot of things ongoing. Appreciate uh, Andy's work with, uh, with the young people and want to encourage you to take part in that. If you have any questions about that, please see him or Jennifer. And uh, that'll, be a, that'll be a good thing for our young people, those, the conference and the camp and the activity. And uh, well, I hope you have a great week. Um, I pray that God would favor you. I pray that often. And I I want God's blessing upon you individually and personally and your family and our church. And I hope, and I sincerely mean it, I hope you have a a good week and be thinking about Travis as he's leaving on Wednesday and be gone for over a week. And so pray that God would favor him. Hope you have a great week. God bless you. You are dismissed.